Maybe seated. It is great to be back with you this week. Um, great to have you with us in worship today. Uh, reminder of those that are watching online, we will be celebrating communion at the close of this service. So if there's some elements you need to gather while we do this, then uh, I won't see you go to the kitchen. So um, you can grab them and come on back. Um, be ready for that. You know, this is our last week on our seed series, uh, and I want to I want to thank Adam uh, for handling it uh, in here last week. If how many of y'all were here last week or saw Adam? Didn't he do a great job? If you were not here, did not see it, go back online at Facebook or YouTube and watch that message. Jack did a good job, too, over on the other side. Jack, shout out to you. And, um, but, uh, Adam, I really appreciate you uh, leading us last week. I thought it was a wonderful job. And um, I took the easy verse for this week, so you'll, you'll feel a lot better about that. Um, we are, like I said, we're wrapping up our series on uh, seeds this week, and today we're going to be looking at where God is calling us, seeing the vision, and really, and want to add to that, answering the call. Seeing the vision of where God is, is leading us, and then answering the call to that. Uh, in a book um, called a Savior, for, a Savior for All Seasons, William Barker relates the story of a bishop uh, from the East Coast who many, many years ago, uh, paid a visit to a small uh, Midwestern religious college. This is a long time ago. He stayed in the home of the college president, who also served as the professor of physics and chemistry at this college. And after dinner, the, the bishop declared that the millennium couldn't be far off because just about everything about nature had been discovered and all inventions conceived. Now, the millennium, as they were thinking back in those days, would have been the end of time. So it would have been the end of the world, if you will. So he just is thinking, hey, it's about to be here. Well, the young college professor politely disagreed with the bishop and said he felt that there could be many more discoveries. Well, that kind of irritated the bishop, kind of angered him, and he challenged the president then to name just one such invention. And the president replied that he was certain that within 50 years, men would fly. Well, the bishop was outraged, and he sputters out, well, that's nonsense. Only angels are intended to fly. Well, the bishop's name was Bishop Wright, and he had two boys back home that would prove to have greater vision than their father. Their boys, Orville and Wilbur Wright. Remember them? First men to take flight. So they definitely had greater vision. Vision only grows and produces a harvest where seeds have been planted, where seeds have been scattered in your life, that's where your vision comes from, where your hope for the future comes from is because somebody had a dream, somebody planted some seeds in your life that are now starting to grow. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 2 
Corinthians chapter 9. And what we're going to find here is that the Corinthians have evidently not learned the, the abundance of generous giving in order, in order to help other people. They seem to have this fear that many of us do today that if they are generous in their giving, that they will, it will lead them to a time of suffering and want in their own life, that they just won't have enough to survive. So let's look at what Paul writes, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. He begins this way, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now Paul first points out the rich blessing of unconventional, broad-minded, willing giving. And then he assures them that God will prosper those who are generous and give them the means to continue to help other people. In other words, if you give a lot, it will continue to be abundant in your life. The opening words in his line in this section, he says, remember this. It is, is really translated, this is really important to remember. Not just remember this or pay attention, but this is really important. My teachers in school would say, sit up straight, put your feet on the floor, and give me both your eyes and your ears. This is important for you to understand. You see, the rewards of giving are in proportion to the degree of your generosity. You will reap what you sow in proportion to how you sow. It makes sense, right? If I scatter just a few seeds, I'm going to get just a few plants, which are going to give me just a little bit of harvest. But if I scatter lots of seeds, I get lots of plants with an abundance of harvest. See how that works? But there's something more to be considered, and that is your heart in the matter. It is always a matter of the heart, isn't it? Verse 7 and 8 continue. says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? He says, For God loves a cheerful giver. He goes on. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. Why is that? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Are you getting this? It happens in all things, at all times, all that you need in order to abound in every good work. God rewards generosity or generous giving with abundant spiritual and material uh, prosperity. And why is that? So that you can give more. It's not so that you can build a bank account so that you can be even bigger, uh, more generous in your, in your giving. Verse 9, he continues, he says, As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Generosity was last week. But generosity is what pours into our vision. A generous heart is where we end up going where we are called to go. 
And here's the truth. If you're sitting here today because you just thought, I, I just want to come to church today, you're actually sitting here today because someone else of someone else's generosity. Because someone else sacrificed. Because someone else served. Someone else taught your Sunday school class or your small group Bible study or preached in your church. Somebody else gave of themselves. You came to faith in Jesus because someone else gave. Someone else scattered generous seeds that you are enjoying today. You, my friends, are the fruit of someone else's vision. You are, the, you are here because of their dream to share Christ to the next generation. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established the town site. The second year, they elected a town government. The third year, they, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. The fourth year, the people tried to impeach their own town government because they thought it was a waste of public money to fund a road going five miles westward into a wilderness. Who needed that anyway? It's crazy, but here where people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get there, but in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. With a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, no ocean of difficulty is too great. Without it, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. Deuteronomy 8, 18 and 19, God gives us a reminder that is also has a warning in it. He says, in verse 18, he says, But remember the Lord your God. There's that word again, remember. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Don't forget the source of your talent, your skill, your health, your life, your joy. Don't forget the Lord your God. The word is to remember Remember, it is the Lord your God who gives you all that you have and all that you need. He is your source. We are just caretakers. We are just caretakers of His abundance. Revelation chapter 2, John, uh, in his revelatory um, text here, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And if you don't remember, he also, there was a letter written from Paul to the church of Ephesus called Ephesians. We have it in our scripture. And if you remember that, that book itself, it, it is such a joy. He says, I count it all joy. I remember you in my prayers. I give thanks to God for you. And he's just really building up this church of how hard they're working. And John writes this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then verse 4, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Some versions say you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten who to remember and give thanks to. You have forgotten your first love. He goes on in this passage, says, please repent. Turn around, do right, because you don't want to fall short and forget your first love. What had they done? They had gotten so used to just doing things, it became monotonous. They attended church just, or synagogue just because they were supposed to. They had lost their fire. They had lost their passion. When they came into church, maybe they were thinking, well, I wonder if I'm going to get anything today. I wonder if it's going to be comfortable today. I wonder if it's going to be any good. Instead of our attitude of worship saying, what do I bring to worship? Do I come to lift up to pour out my praise as we just sang a few moments ago? Do I come to lift up my prayers for the kingdom of God? Do I come to give thanks to the God Almighty who saves me and delivers me? Why do I come? What is my purpose? What is my love? You know, Richmond Hill uh, Church has roughly about 1,200 members on the roll. We don't all have them come, uh, especially in the last year or so, Um, but that's another thing. Our budget this year is $977,000. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. That represents um, a small portion of our church, though, represented there. Let me tell you a little bit about church budgets. It's always an estimate of giving. We, it's an anticipated, like we're guessing. Some people make pledges. They sign commitment cards, and they tell us how much they're going to give. So that's an idea. That makes up a portion of what our budget is. Then we have what is called unpledged giving. There's people that don't fill out that, and they give maybe regularly or one time or a few times. Um, over the, and that's based on the past year, some kind of analytic they come up with. I don't know how the finance committee does it, but they do it. In a normal year, we have anywhere between 140 and 160 uh, what we call giving units. That's households. That's not individuals. If we take these pledges by household and we say, okay, each household or each pledge unit, giving unit, is made up of four people, just for number's sake, that would give us a possible 300 pledging units if we say we have about 1,200 members. Okay, you follow me so far? If 140 households help us with a budget of $977,000, what do you think 300 pledges would look like? There's a lot of reasons why people don't give, and I'm not really here to talk about that. I'm here to ask, are you willing to invest in the vision? Do you understand that in our giving we are scattering seeds? Do I believe that my giving today will reach people for Christ in the future? Not only today, but also in the future. Where is my investment in this? Where is my skin in the game? Where am I involved? You see, because we can't do it by ourselves. It takes us doing it together as the, as the body of Christ to say, I believe, to get up and follow Christ. When he called his disciples, he said, come, follow me. And they had to get up and go. They had to leave family. They had to follow him. And that's the same question to us today. What is it going to cost me to follow Christ? How will I be invested in this?
What sacrifice will I need to make? How can I be generous with my life, with my talent, with my gifts to help this vision, this dream, this calling manifest in this community? Do you know why people go to Alcoholics Anonymous? You say, well, it's because they have trouble with alcohol. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. Why do they keep going? I think there's a better answer than that. People go to AA because it works. At the end of an AA meeting, the group stands and they join hands and they say to one another, keep coming back. It works if you work it. In other words, stay with me. I need you and you need me. Let's come together. AA works because people are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Some of them even know if they miss too many, they will fall off the wagon. They know, I need this. I'm, I'm afraid because I'm weak and I will give in. I'm, I'm afraid that I will not do what I'm supposed to do and that it will come back and, and bite me. They do this because they know that God is working in them to bring about His purpose in their lives. And isn't that what we do here in church? We come here not because we're perfect, not because we got it all figured out, but because we're broken, we're messed up, and we need to look at each other and say, I'm going to keep coming back. Please keep coming back. Please be involved with me. Invest in this with me. And let's make a difference in the world. Recovering the same mind in us that is in Christ Jesus. Remember your first love. It requires something akin to AA to bring it about. AA uses the word recovery, and uh, and it is about recovery also in the Christian faith. The Christian life is about recovering the image of God in our life, in our daily lives. And this process takes the work of God, it takes the Spirit of God, it takes the people of God. It takes us to come together. And it will not happen in isolation as a fruit of our cloistered quiet times. It happens when we join together as the body of Christ, when we are connected and we lean on each other and we speak into each other's lives. What we might really need is something more like Sinners Anonymous. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jay. I'm a sinner. (laughs) Hi, Jay. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Guess what? We need a place like they have, like AA has, where sinners and seekers of Jesus can come together, can show up in a room together and get honest and real with one another. We don't come down looking down our nose at each other for what we have or don't have or what we've done or don't do. That's when transformation happens. That's when healing and freedom takes place. That's when we become the church, the body of Christ, leaning on each other. That's what draws people in. And people say, I want to be a part of that because they're there for each other. And I want to be included. Apple Computer fell on difficult days. This is a long time ago, back when Steve Jobs was young. And uh, he was the young chairman of, of Apple, and he traveled to, uh, from Silicon Valley to New York City 
with the purpose of convincing PepsiCo's John Scully to move west and run the struggling company of Apple Computer. And as the two men stood overlooking the Manhattan skyline from Scully's penthouse office, uh, the Pepsi executive started to decline uh, Jobs' offer. Scully said, financially, you'd, you'd have to give me a million-dollar salary, a million-dollar bonus, and a million-dollar severance. Well, Jobs was flabbergasted. He'd, he'd gulped really hard. And he agreed that if, if Scully would move to California, he would commit to that. Although he knew that was a huge risk. But Scully would only commit to being a consultant from New York. And at that, Jobs issued a challenge to Scully. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want to change the world? Later in his autobiography called Odyssey, Scully admitted that Jobs' challenge just knocked the wind out of him. He said he'd become caught up in his future at Pepsi, his pension, and whether his family could adapt to life in California, that this opportunity to change the world nearly passed him by. Instead, he ended up putting his life in perspective, and he went to Apple. The West, the rest, as they say, is history, right? So many people don't recognize the chance to change the world. Part of the Christian message is letting people know what a difference the gospel makes. God has transformed you. What are you willing to do to invest in changing the world? Folks, we have an opportunity to start right here in our community, but also to impact the entire world. But, but it will mean sowing generously. It starts small because it starts with you. Deciding in your heart to give of your time, to give of your resources, of your talent, to a God that multiplies your gifts. It starts with you reaching out to a friend that that doesn't go to church anywhere or may not even know Jesus. And it means loving them like Jesus loves you. How would you want to be drawn? How would you want to be invited? Do that with somebody else. That connection will join with other connections that will grow into communities of faith that will change the world. We're not building a road to nowhere. We're scattering seeds of the kingdom of God for generations to come. It makes a difference. How will you be a part? What will you invest? Are you willing to change the world with your life? Let's pray together. Father, your love abounds and it amazes us. We may never know just how deeply, deeply an, an impact will be for us to follow you. Father, you transform us every day. 
and yet you use us to reach the world. Father, we pray that you will stir our hearts this day. Raise our eyes to our first love and call us to come follow you even deeper. Lord, as we reach deep, we pray that you will fill us with gratitude that doesn't stay home, but scatters around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.